Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Today, guys, we have a wonderful guest here for you. We have Daniel Cullen. Who is Daniel Cullen? Well, Daniel Cullen is a peer outreach worker in the Durham region. Daniel's multiple diagnoses has led him down a checkered path as a man living with many mental illnesses. Being diagnosed with 22 illnesses has led him to many institutions as he fought to find his way to sanity. Now he is a leader in the mental health and poverty community making a difference. So with that said, I now present to you Daniel Cullen. Nice to meet you, Daniel. Hi, Cleone. Hello, everybody else who's there. How are you? Where do I? I'm doing great. And yourself? Good. Been a busy Monday. It's Monday, Monday. Every everybody, the weekend's over and the system's back running up again. And so Mondays are always busy in the community. That's true. That's true. So with that said, we'll go right into the interview. So, um, Daniel, tell us a little bit more about your profession, what you're doing now, and um, yeah, and how you're helping. I um. So one of the most one of the biggest things I'm doing right now is I am uh, the um, community engagement uh, director of community engagement with New Life Neighborhood Center, uh, the assistant director uh, to the food bank, and the director on the board as far as community engagement goes. There, I run a program called uh, helps facilitate a program called the SLIP program, Self-Empowerment Livelihood Improvement Program. And it's a 12-week program that we take people through. Plus, I um, uh, developed a, a peer support hub uh, resource center that's working in where I work. And so we train people to re-engage themselves in a sense of hope. And then we give them the supports and work walk with them through their support. So that's one thing I do. I'm also a peer outreach worker that works. I work directly with the homeless community in Durham region, engaging that community to uh, to uh, access the resources that are available through the Mission United Backdoor Mission, uh, the hub that's in downtown. I run the GAP committee with uh, Regional Councilor Rick Kerr, where we take the voice of lived experience, connect it with professionals and we find the gaps in the system and then fill the gaps in the system from a perspective of lived experience. So those are a few of the things I do. I'm a preceptor of nurses from Witten with York University and I'm a supervisor of social work students with Durham College and uh, I'm a, just a simple man. <laughs> <laughs> You're a simple man making a big phenomenal difference in our community and we thank you for that. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So um, this is going to be an interesting question that I'm going to be asking you to going straight into the interview. What is your mental health diagnosis? <laughs> uh, uh, 
when I when I first got when I, I, I spent 25 years on the streets as a homeless man, and nine of those 25 years were diagnosed with multiple mental disorders. So I was a transient homeless man living on the streets with multiple mental disorders. So I, I, I lived, uh, I came up uh, through uh, a rough part. I had, uh, they diagnosed me with bipolar, uh, sociopath, bipolar, the worst guy, I think it was one or two, I can't remember, the one is where it's where you go manic and depressed, manic and depressed, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, chronic depression, there was another one, clinical chronic depression, suicidal ideation, uh, sociopathic tendencies, um, uh, yeah, it goes on the list, but when, when I first started to come to terms with that, uh, why I had this mental breakdown and ended up in such a mental state, I started a legal action against an organization which got me all my medical records. Mm. My lawyer got all my psychiatric medical records. Not, nothing, nothing, nothing held back. It was everything that the nurses and the doctors wrote about me. And there were some mean things written about me because I was uh, assumed to be something because people saw me as a diagnosis rather than a person. Yes. They, 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 would, they would see me as being uh, um, non-compliant, hard to service patient. I had more trips to lock up I can shake a stick at. Uh, I got a four point strap down one time because I was trying to have a conversation with a nurse and he didn't like the way I raised my voice. Next thing I knew I got a cold white and I got a four point lockdown. Um, so my mental illness has been extensive. I've lived in, in, I've been in multiple, multiple hospitals. I've lived in six or seven long-term care group homes. I said I'd be in an institution with little hope I would ever recover. So that's where I was and, and mental illness governed me and I didn't govern myself and, and um, I was erratic and I was uh, erratic in my behavior, erratic in my emotions, angry, rageful, rageful anger, uh, chronically depressed, always wanting to die and then flipping between uh, really happy and really sad in a day. Mm. And it was it was hard. But one that was my that's a little bit of my mental illness story. Okay. June 17, 2002 though, Dr. Grant Smith said to me, I can put in your diagnosis that I see no symptoms of a diagnosis and no need for medication. So I went from 22 mental disorders to a doctor saying he didn't see any of those in me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you when did you first discover that you had a mental illness? Ah, uh, ninety. Uh, probably 98, 99, okay. 97, 98, 90, yeah, 98. Mm -hmm. When I, I I I I was having constant trips of trying to die and ending up in the hospital, and I I I was in I was in a drug and alcohol rehab program in Edmonton, Alberta, and I was freaking out so they sent me to the hospital when they sent me to the hospital I got somewhat of a psych assessment I don't know but they put me on clear um, uh, por I can't remember what it is porophil no that's not porophil anyways it was a big nasty psychiatric pill that put me on my butt <laughs> and yeah and um, uh, when I kind of came to in, in the emergency room, I decided I don't want to wait any longer. I walked home and while I was walking home, I came, 
I realized that the whole reason I was in the state I was in was because of a post-traumatic stress disorder that I had almost 20 years, 25 years prior, 20, 22 years prior to that. Mm -hmm. So what's, what started out as post-traumatic stress disorder, uncared un for, spun around to 22 different things. So yeah, I was, it was in 19, probably 97 in Edmonton, Alberta in, in the wintertime. Wow. And then, I, and then I started to cry. Then I started to really cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us more about your story of resilience, how that your mental health story resilience. Tell us what, what exactly did you go through to um, go from 22 to a bill, a bill, nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a ride, trust me. And I, and it's like they said I was crazy and I said, no, I wasn't. Now they're saying I'm not crazy, and I'm saying maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I have my days. I have really bad days sometimes, but I've learned to cope. I've learned that when the bad days come, they're only passing by. And uh, if I I, 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 I learned. Okay, I had I had a forensic order. You know what a forensic order is, right? That's when the court order says, you gotta see a psychiatrist, your court order to take your medication. If you don't, you break the law. I was on one of those. How mm. uh, my resilient, how to get resilient. And um, with all those different diagnoses, they, they, they shipped me around, they didn't know how to deal with me. So I was living in an institution, it was December 31st, the last month of December of 1999. I made a decision. I, I, I mean, what's the one thing when you have mental illness like uh, you like to do? I don't know if anybody else is like this, but when you're dealing with a mental challenge, you obsess with things. Yes. Uh, all right. right. I, ha I obsessed. I didn't obsess with washing my hands or scratching my face. I obsessed with gaining knowledge. Mm. I obsessed with philosophy, psychology, sociology, anthropology, metaphysics, occult, and theology. For 25 years, that was my obsession. Just, I, I buried my head in knowledge, trying to bury the pain that was going on up here. You know how mental illness works. It's just so frustrating up here. Yes. So when I realized that the doctors had written me off because I had read all my psychiatric reports, about 500 pages of my doctor, my lawyer got me all my psychiatric reports. I read them over a couple of times, all of them. And it was hard to read. And I realized that the only change that was going to happen if it was up to me to take responsibility for my, my mental challenge. Mm. So on December 31st, 1999, I went out on Lake Simcoe out in Jackson's Point while living in a group home in Jackson's Point that dealt with hard to non-compliant patients because nobody else wanted me because wherever I ended up, I ever ended up trying to commit suicide. Mm. So they put me in a place where I was under good control or good monitoring. But that's the place I made the decision that I was going to change my take responsibility for myself. So when 1201 rolled around and it was January 1st, 2000, I was on Lake Simcoe, but I had made that mental, emotional, physical, factual decision that I was going to make a step. So I took a, at 1201, I took a step forward and I said, I'm no longer going to be this statistic. Mm -hmm. And I put a vision in my head, I put an idea in my head, and I clearly held it for a period of time in my mind that I was no longer going to be a statistic, I was going to take control of who I was, and that was the vision I started with. 
I then began to look for knowledge that empowered the vision that I had of myself. I'm wholly loving. I was born that way. I wasn't born to hate because if I was born to hate, love would be repulsive to me. Mm-hmm. I was born to love. That way I find hate repulsive. Right. So I, 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 I'm wholly loving and I'm completely lovable. There's, I wasn't born with all the troubles I had. I was born completely lovable. And I started with that. And then I started to inform myself with what I needed to learn to empower that person that I knew was wholly loving and wholly lovable. Rather than all my fears and stuff like that, I started to in, 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 in educate myself on myself. I started to do my self-examination. When I'd go through a very bad day, I would place it back to January 1st, 2000 at 12.01 in the morning where I made that decision. Nothing past that, that point I went on. So. Uh, then I went from there and I, I got a passion. The passion became the knowledge I learned that I could be healthy and walk healthy and, and, and make decisions based on the vision I had for myself. Mm-hmm. I started to do it. And that, that repeated over, that system repeated over and over and over in my head. I began to build a new history for myself. So where I had a whole history of failures and mistakes and I now have a whole history of successes in front of me. So that's kind of how I worked my way back. Wow, amazing. So would you say that was medication a part of this journey as well? Yes, medication has its place, yes. Yes, it does, and and I, yes. I I don't take any psychiatric medication anymore. Oh. I haven't for 15 years. Wow. For more than 15 years. But that doesn't mean the chemical imbalance that I had doesn't still affect me. I just learned how to deal with it differently. When I was on psychiatric medication, I weighed 250 pounds. I slurred my speech. I drugged my foot and I drooled. And they said I was healthy. That's I, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. But now I've got, now, now, instead of them locking me up for what I say, they pay me for what I say. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. That's resilience. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, folks. I love that. That's my favorite. One of my favorite um, uh, quotes is you can put, but I say it more with a Jamaican twist. It's like you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's good to have this thing back and to know that I can, I, it, even when my days are really, really bad and I want to just tell the whole world to have a nice day somewhere else, yes. right? I, I realize that I'm in control of this and I govern my behavior. And when I want to go off and I'm going to go off, I go off somewhere else rather than going off in front of the people because <laughs> they have no sense of humor. <laughs> okay, wow. So yeah. tell me. What did you have to do specifically to overcome or bounce back from your low points? You tell me all the resources that were helpful to you. The resources that were helpful to me. Well, number one, my faith has a very strong place in that, but faith and mental illness can be quite a tricky thing. Yes. Because doctors get all freaked out when you say, I have a faith, right? Oh, don't do that. Blah, blah, blah. Doctors can put it in, you know, they can have a nice day somewhere else because their idea their idea of health and my idea of health are two different things. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was on the medication for a while, but I didn't quit. Like I didn't quit the medication immediately. It took about 30 months before I stopped the medication. 
Mm. And in that first 30 months, I did the work necessary to build the framework around me where I could cut back on the medication. So when the medication, I shouldn't say cut back on the medication. I, I, one day I took it, the next day I didn't. And I, I stopped taking 3,000 milligrams of psychiatric medication a day for wow. years to nothing. I almost died. I was so sick. Oh, it's pill sick. I was pill medication. The, the, medic, the drugs was coming out of my system. I was really, really, I, should, I could have died. I don't recommend anybody does that. No, you have to do it with, um, under the care of a doctor. So that they yeah, can kind of just slowly ease you out of the medication. Yeah, yeah, and I should and I should have done that. But when I did the legwork around me, because when when I was in my mental health state, the bad state, the challenging state, my coping skills were down here, but my work, my problems were up here, so I couldn't even them out. So medication brings me to the place where I can, there, everything's level. Now mm -hmm. I can do now I can do the work where I'm on a level ground. Okay. Where I'm not working under the pressure of my mental challenge, whether it's depression or bipolar or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. I'm working on level ground because the medication has leveled me out. Now when I'm at that state, I gotta do the work. I gotta do the work on me. I can't just sit back and say it's gonna fix itself. I gotta fix me. So I gotta know how to govern my thinking. I gotta know how to do introspection. I know how to do self-care. I know how to ground myself. All these things are important because when we get sick or when things, chemical balances aren't going the way they should go, we can go way off, right? And right. it's that going off that gets us in trouble. People don't understand our going off is for a reason. <laughs> don't look at me and judge me. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent and I really can't get off on a tangent because I get really mad at people that look at mental illness as being a character flaw. Yes. It's, it's, it's not our fault that we are going, what we're going through, what we're going through. It's um, there, you know, the same way people, no one asked for cancer, no one asked to, you know, have diabetes or um, I guess schizophrenia. No one asked to have any of those things. So why are people so judgmental when they have a mental um, illness? People are afraid of what they don't understand. You're right. You're and they right. judge and they condemn and they criticize what they don't understand. Yes. Sometimes these people that don't have a mental illness that say they don't have a mental illness, sometimes they should get themselves checked. <laughs> hey. I I, I, sorry, I, I, I said a true story. After I'd been diagnosed as having no symptoms of a diagnosis and no need for medication, I was still a homeless man. I was working my way back into that too, back into being housed. Mm -hmm. So as a homeless man, I was in Ottawa and there was a, it was raining out and this lady that was having definite mental distress, but she was all right. She was just having a bad day in the rain. He walked up to her. She was a homeless person. He walked up to her and started giving her a hard time and running her hard. So I walked up to him as another street person. I said, dude, settle down, whatever, settle down. I got a little mouthy with the cop. Forgive me, I'm normal. And he looked at me and he said, I think all of these homeless people should be locked up in a psychiatric ward. And that made me mad. Of course. So I, looked at, uh, I looked at him and I said, have you ever been diagnosed as having no symptoms of a diagnosis and no need for medication? And with indignant face, he said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, I have. And I suggest you get yourself checked. <laughs> anyway, he got really mad at me. 
but yeah. I made my point. Sometimes people that they, they don't take a look at their own mental health and they think they're fine and there's some messed up folk. Mm-hmm. One thing that when you when you're having to see a psychiatrist or you're having to see a psychologist or you're having to take medication, some of the best things you can do for yourself is right there because you've got people that are giving you resources to work on you to remake you. So instead of mental illness being as something for disdain, it gives you the opportunity to work on you. And some of the most resilient and strong people are those who have, like, have gone through the going through when it comes to the mental health system. Wow. Health, yeah. So. Cool. Sorry, so that's a mouthful. No, that's cool. That's cool. I would definitely want to hear everything. I do have another question for you. I know that you were recently featured in a documentary. Tell us a little bit more about that documentary, how that works and how that happened. Um, That uh, is um, uh, the work I do with the organization I do, New Life Neighborhood Center, is uh, we, we are really big on, on building the community and building up the people that we work with. So it's just not giving food. We want to give service. And when we give service, we want to get to know the community and so on and so on. So we do a, a whole range of things. Well, the organization caught wind of it and they have a program called It Is Written Canada. So they decided, they heard my, my I've given my story, my full story a few times. It's, it's a story I can give in a lot. And there's, it, there's, it's an empowering story, so I'm not ashamed to share it. And I've learned to hone my story because it can be more powerful. So asked me to do an interview with me and they took me aside about a month ago and they did a, an hour long interview. And uh, it's a, a, a living on the cold, hard streets with the heartbeat of madness. And it tells my story of 25 years of living on the streets. And uh, it's it's documented and in the in the can ready to go. It's playing this Saturday at uh, 11 a.m. on CTV mm-hmm. from Newfoundland to BC, uh, right across right across Canada. Amazing! That's exciting. And then not <laughs> only did you have this one, you were also in, in another documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Mental I've, health is the church's business. Oh, that one. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Mental health is a church's business was put on by Elaine Spencer. And I've known Dr. Spencer and, and Hyacinth Brown. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've known them for a long time. And, and so um, I was asked to do a presentation and tell my story of my mental health story in a documentary called um, Mental Health is a Church's Business. And for church, church folk that are listening to this, yeah, it is the church's business. And some people got to get off their high horses and quit criticizing, condemning people that have mental illness. Because some of the worst places you can go to get judged the worst is church. Whoops. All right. Oh, sorry. I'm being I'm being a gentleman because um, I, uh, yeah, I, it's a sad thing to say, but the church can be very hard on people that have mental challenges. You're right. You don't you don't, you don't fit the system. You're not you don't sit. You don't, you don't, anyways, it's, it's, I'm getting off on a tangent and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's yeah. sad though. Um, hopefully we'll get to a place where not just the church, but all spaces will be open to people with mental health challenges. Yeah. So that we recognize the same way you can open the space to people with cancer is the same way you should open the space to people with mental health challenges because, you know, we're all dealing with something that we can't, that, um, 
that is outside of our control. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess it's not our fault. We didn't ask for it. No. And we are just trying to make, we're just trying to make do with what we got. Yeah. 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 And, and if some people think that their stuff doesn't stink, try and walk in our shoes for a day. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's a song about that. Um, says your roses, it's about called Roses from Outcasts. Says your roses smell like. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. The next question I have from you is. Um, what are three things that you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Oh, a, a, a good peer support. Someone who understood what I was going through and could walk with me and not talk to me or at me. Yeah. Someone that could sit there and be with me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when I was at my lowest point, that um, a, a safe place, a place to be meant. The, to be mentally help, to be in a, have a mental challenge and have a safe place where I can have that mental challenge with other people that have mental challenges like me, i.e. the clubhouse idea. I wish there were more clubhouse models around, you know, that, uh, where, yeah. And the third thing would be, uh, yeah, and, and, and somebody and somebody to say they love me, somebody to love me real. Like, yes. yeah. Uh, even and I'm not talking about relationship love. I'm just because you become friendship. very hey this friendship. Yeah, and a lot of people are afraid to be a, your friend when you're deemed as crazy. Yes, yes, it's such a loaded word, you know, crazy. When I I use that word with respect. I don't mean it in a derogatory way. Yes, I've been crazy. I know what crazy means. I've been crazy. And I know what it is not to be crazy. And so when I see someone who has been or is in a bad state, I have to look past all the bad state that they're in and realize that they're just a person who's having a bad day. Yeah. And there are times when people that have mental challenges and I'm not so spiritual and so strong that I just want to walk up and you know give them a real strong shake. But I don't do that. But so there are times when people that are having mental break, this lady the other day at work, I'm, she's standing in the corner of the lot. I, I do, I'm outside with all the community and all of a sudden she just stands there and she lets out a blood curdling scream. She just screams at the top of her lung. It was a mental health thing. Wow. I ignored it for a minute and then she did it again and I walked straight up to her face to face and I said, is there something I can do to help you? Mm. She said no and she screamed again. I turned my back and then I turned back and I said, have a good day. Apparently you're not, but I'll see you later. And she went off cussing and swearing and screaming and yelling. That was one of my good days because once she was going off and yelling and screaming and saying all kinds of verbiage, I finally said, okay. And I yelled back at her the very same thing she was yelling, but I yelled them back at her in a tone that she could get so it calmed her right down because I understood where she was coming from. So I just gave her some of her own medicine in a way that she could understand that, hey, <laughs> you know, wow. it, freaked, it freaked her out. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they leave me alone at work. They let me do my job, but they, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm eccentric. I'm not crazy. That's the word, eccentric. I was just about to use it. 
<laughs> okay, so what words of hope can you give to our listeners? Sometimes your heart gets so overwhelmed with things. Things bog down everything. They get in the way. Sometimes the best thing to do is to sit down with yourself and tell yourself how lovable you really are. And if it doesn't come easy, find one word and stick to it. I'm lovable because I am. I'm lovable because I am. Begin to retrain your brain. You know what it's all, the best advice I can give you is it's all about me. Yes, life is all about me. What is me? Mental empathy. Ah, I like that. Yeah, my friend, uh, actually, um, Nicole Bagu, that's her program. Oh, mental empathy? Yeah. yeah, mental empathy is her program. But you have, as you know how we, I don't know, but I can really beat me up on the inside. I can beat myself senseless. I'm, on the inside, I'm, I'm this wilted guy that's sitting in the corner that's just been beat senseless, right? Because the self-condemnation that comes sometimes can be very hard on ourselves. Because mm -hmm. we see ourselves and we know that things aren't going right here, so we beat ourselves up. Never mind the people that are judging us and criticizing us. We're doing it all by ourselves. So we need to have a, a sense of mental empathy, and that's speak kind words to yourself. Speak yeah. kind words to people. Listen to words that bring about kindness to yourself. Don't don't you want to create? You want to be empathetic with your mind. You want to be gentle with your mind. Mental empathy. The things you say about yourself to yourself. The things you say about people to people. And the conversations you carry and the words you carry all work on building us. We're rebuilding us. We're rebuilding our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So we are going to do a switch in topics here. Okay. Yeah. So basically, as you can see behind me, there are some books. Um, it's my book called The Music of My Life. And um, where I talk about bipolar and music therapy. So right. my question to you is what type of music do you like? I'll tell you what, when I was in my sickest state, there was a song, I, I sang a gospel song all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was pour your healing oil through me, pour your healing oil through me, like a river of love, pour your healing from above, pour your healing oil through me. And I repeatedly sang that to myself to my own self all the time. I sang it and I sang it and it became a reality to me. Wow. There's that. Yeah. I like I like music, but I like I like choir music. I like southern gospel music. Mm -hmm. I like I like I like I like spiders and snakes, but that ain't what it takes now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm just going off. I'm having fun. This okay. I don't know. My music is eclectic. I like I like Pat Chabelle's Canon in D minor, or C minor D minor. I like I like classical music. I love Chopin. I like Mozart. I love uh, uh, others. I, I love country. <clears throat> but I really I get off on my gospel. I like my gospel, especially my courses. I can sing myself happy anytime. That's awesome. Yeah. What music do you listen to? For me, I like um, gospel and uh, so gospel rap, gospel contemporary, gospel reggae, 
And I also like old school, like Motown, um, um, old hip, old school hip hop, old school R&B. Um, but the Motown stuff, I like Stevie Wonder. I like um, uh, The Temptations. Um, I you like Donna Summers. Yeah, I know my music. I love music. I, I'm big on music. I can listen to, I can listen to almost anything. But, um, but gospel music is um, where my heart is at. Yeah. They so, told me I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Not all of us. That's not our gift. That, that's not the gift that all of us were given. So it's all good. <laughs> but as long as you can sing unto, they, what do they say? Sing unto the Lord a new song. You can, yeah. Just as long as he's hearing it. It doesn't really matter if they have a good tune, but yeah. he can hear it. So it's all good. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have one more question. So the song that you just mentioned, would you say that's a song that describes your journey? Yeah. Um, and would you say that describes your mental health journey? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been, sometimes you have to put ointment. It, uh, aloe vera, if you get a burn. Yes. You got you to apply the aloe vera on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. And the aloe vera is what cools the burn and heals the burn. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes we have wounded spirits and wounded souls. So singing songs and hymns to yourself, it gives that, it's that healing balm. It's that, it's that uh, elixir that cut, loosens the nuts and bolts of your rusty soul kind of thing, right? And it's, <clears throat> things start to smooth, move clearly. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was the song that, that I sang over that began the healing process. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I give all God, I give God all the glory, honestly, I do. Uh -huh. I've done the legwork necessary to get the job done. But if it wasn't for the grace of God working in this mind that was way out of way out of whack, yes. I wouldn't be here today. And it's only the grace of, I'm a broken vessel held together by the grace of God. That's Amazing. It. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. So, Daniel, with that said, how can we stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Do you have any social media handles? <laughs> That's my social media handle. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Uh huh. And, and that's it. And and uh, Daniel underscore. I'll write my email address. You got to write that down. Sent yes. my email Daniel underscore C J D S at yahoo.ca. Perfect. So I will write that in the show notes at the end of the, um, so that people who want to reach out to you, whether it's for speaking engagements or yeah. um, um, anything that they want to reach out to you or just to just a chat or whatever, I'll yeah. send that to them. Um, so with that said, we are going to end this show. But to all you resilient minds out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the community of resilient minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's episode or connect with Daniel's testimonial, please share it with them. 
feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag me on Instagram. You can tag myself at OnlyCleone or ResilientMinds365. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite, yes, despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off. Oh, 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 oh,